Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now. Runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Live from EAA's Skyscape Theater at AirVenture 2021, it's the Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. I'm Tom Charpentier. I'm one of your guests. To my right. I'm Chris Henry. I am one of your other hosts. Chris, how's your adventure been? Um, it is good. I'm a little tired, uh, I think, as everybody is. But, uh, yeah, we're doing good, and um, it's been uh, a lot of fun. Uh, it's been really fun just to see people that I haven't seen uh, since 2019. And uh, I think that's the coolest part. The airplanes are always awesome, but getting to see people again uh, is really fantastic. So I've been really enjoying that. I should have mentioned for those of you who lis- uh, listening uh, uh, to our recording, it is Friday of AirVenture now, so we've all been at it for about five days now, and those of us here on staff have been at it for about uh, three months. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're we're getting down toward the end here, but uh, but yeah, it's been a great week, and uh, we're really uh, happy to be here. Happy to be here with our guest, um, recording our our usual live show at uh, Oshkosh. Chris, you want to um, you want to introduce us? Absolutely. You know, I actually, as I always say, I love uh, episodes where we get to have guests, um, and this one is no different. Uh, today we actually have Goodyear's chief pilot, Mike Doherty, with us. Uh, he is here with uh, the Goodyear Zeppelin, and he's going to tell us all about what it's like to fly that big machine. It has to be uh, uh, quite a, uh, an amazing feat. So thank you for being here. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun for us here. We always like coming to, uh, to EAA and AirVenture and, and uh, sharing our unique aircraft with you guys. I know there's a lot of unique aircraft here, but, uh, but ours has got to be up there on the list. So, so I have to ask, what at what point in your aviation career did you decide that that's what you wanted to fly? Because that is, uh, you know, flying a blimp or, or a Zeppelin is not something that uh, a ton of people get to fly. So when did you decide, when did you look at that and say, that is what I want to go after? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely really different, and it, it's something that you have to enjoy. Uh, I guess each, each of us has our own stories and, and how we got there. Uh, mine is mine is kind of unique, and I think everybody but but me likes to talk about it. Uh, but I was uh, working my way through college. I, I really hadn't even thought of aviation uh, as a career. I was in engineering at first, and then uh, I had a friend call me up and say, "Hey, you know, I I know you're not so happy in the engineering program. They got this great program out here at this uh, uh, place where I'm going, and and uh, I've ended up graduating from Kent State in Ohio in their aviation program, and it wasn't." because of the, the request of my friend, because I moved to something different a- again. Uh, but all through my college career, I owned a lawn business. And one of the places that I kept was the hangar where they kept the blimp. So as I got further into my aviation career and I got to know the pilots there a little bit, uh, you know, we started chatting and, and uh, you know, aviation folks tend to, tend to uh, kind of gravitate towards each other, I guess. Uh, so I, I got a lot of great experience around the airship as I was uh, working my way through school. Uh, when I graduated from college, I went to the airlines. I worked for Express Jet for a couple of years. I was a 145 captain for them uh, back when it was Continental Express. But um, uh, kind of always had my eye on the blimp because it was unique, and it, it kind of caught my eye as I was working, uh, working around it in something that was a completely non-aviation function. So uh, when they had a spot open up, they called me up and said, "Hey, why don't you put your stuff in and see what happens?" And so that was about 15 years ago, and and here I still am. So. Literally went from mowing the grass to uh, to to running the cruise. Yeah, as I was about to say, so doing landscaping for Goodyear. Uh, it's it's always an always an aviation. You got to know somebody, and uh, that's some ways sometimes how you how you get to know them, huh? Yeah, 
hey, anyway, get your foot in the door. It's it's uh, it's all about networking in aviation, and and uh, if you find something that you like and you you have the passion to continue down the road, you can get just about anywhere. It's really fun. That's one of the coolest parts. Okay, so how do you get your heavier than air, or not heavier than air, the exact opposite of that, your lighter <laughs> than air rating uh, to uh, to fly? Because that's a completely different um, pilot rating from what most of us are familiar with. Um, is there? Did you go straight into Goodyear's fleet, or is there uh, is there a training airship out there, or uh, how did how how did you go through that process? Yeah, it's uh, it's also unique in that there there is no training aircraft. There's no simulators. Uh, not many people have blimps and. I, I a little bit like it to getting a, a type rating in a 747 where you you usually don't do that unless you're going to fly one. Uh, but even more unique than that is that, that it is really rare aircraft. So we we basically wrote, developed our own training program, and uh, we hire commercial pilots into our group, uh, usually multi-instrument, uh, usually CFIs. And we're really looking for somebody with management or PR or communications experience as well because that really helps for things like this. And all the rest of the stuff that we do as blimp pilots, we do a lot of uh, career days and rotary clubs, and uh, but we've been doing a lot more uh, media like this, um, even video media and things like that as social media grows. So being out in the f- in front of the public, we we kind of call ourselves the Blue Angels for Goodyear, but uh, so we're looking for something like that. But the actual training to be a pilot is uh, is all in house. It's about two weeks of ground school. Once you hire in, uh, gets you through all the physics of the aircraft, which is kind of different. You wouldn't normally have to do that with an airplane. Uh, but because the air and helium systems are are really important to us, that's that's what literally what we hang on when we're in the sky. Uh, you really have to understand how that works because it's a it's a relatively uh, complex system that that we try to boil down to to pilot speak and make sure that everybody understands inside and out because that's how you operate the aircraft. Uh, after that, it's systems training in an aircraft just about like any other. So the uh, the NT is sort of like a, a piston powered version of a King Air, um, relatively. Uh, standard commuter aircraft style uh, systems on the inside the the buttons and and levers and things would be mostly familiar to folks uh, and this one here is a, a side stick a joystick control which is kind of nice it's a, a huge jump forward in technology for us to this type versus the ones we were flying before so uh, the one thing that is different is that when we do train pilots we fit it into our day-to-day schedule so it might take you um, generally it takes us about six months to a year to get a pilot trained and captain qualified. Uh, and it ultimately ends in uh, an FAA check ride for an additional category and class rating. So that's lighter than air airship uh, category and class. And then even after that, we do an additional about 40 or 50 hours of, of IOE of operating experience for a new pilot um, just to kind of get them in the groove of the regular day to day. So generally our pilots have at least 200 hours in type, even though the FAA only requires 25 hours in type, uh, it's it's just almost impossible to get somebody through airship training in, in less than about 100. Mm. Uh, and then, like I said, some of the additional stuff. And then when you're a training pilot with Goodyear, we put you on every cross-country flight we do because we fly it everywhere it goes. Uh, we put you on almost every TV event just because it's airtime. Uh, it's something that we do a lot. It's something you really need to be proficient at. So uh, you, you get a lot of kind of extra experience that isn't necessarily counted in your training uh, specifically, but it's very helpful in, in gaining that feel, that that uh, understanding of the airship when you're up flying. So usually our guys will come out the other side with between two and 300 hours in type by the time that they're, they're line qualified captains. So it's a pretty extensive program, uh, but it's, it's a lot of fun for those that, that stick it out and 
and make it through. What is the standard, I guess, crew uh, loadout uh, for one of your flights? Uh, well, the, for the flight itself, it depends on what the operation is. Most of our flights are two pilot crews. The, the uh, aircraft is single pilot certified. So there are some times when we have a, a short TV event, for example, where it'll just be a, a pilot and a camera operator and, uh, and you're the only two on board. Most of the time, our TV events are a little longer because we have to be there an hour prior to airtime, uh, make sure that we're set up, our equipment's working, and then we're there for the whole uh, football game, baseball game, NASCAR race, whatever it is that we're covering, you know, which might be anywhere from two and a half to four and a half hours. And then there's usually a little bit of post-game uh, show or, or whatever it is. And then, you know, plus the transit back. So most of our typical missions are between six and seven hours of flying time. So we like to put two pilots on that and allows the guys to swap back and forth, take a little bit of a break, stand up, eat lunch, whatever they need to do. Uh, so we, we do usually fly two crew, but uh, can be flown single pilot. Even our transits are just two crew on board. Uh, and when we do passenger flights, which are all rides by invitation, um, media flights, customer support flights, things like that, uh, we do a lot of charity stuff. Those are usually all two pilot crews, and we'll have between six and ten passengers on board, depending on our capable lift that day. So as far as the crew goes, because we can't operate without a crew, uh, everywhere the blimp goes, there's about four pilots that go with it uh, and 16 ground crew members. So we have two crew chiefs, uh, four broadcast technicians. So those are the guys that actually do the camera work for us. They set up the receive site on the ground. They make sure that all of our our uh, video equipment is working. They maintain our camera systems, which are really high end. We just actually got brand new camera systems for all of our airships. Uh, and they also take care of the LED sign on the side. Uh, so our technicians are really busy doing that kind of stuff. Uh, we have five AMP mechanics that travel with us for each of our airships. Uh, and those guys take care of it from nose to tail, all of our schedule, non-schedule maintenance. Uh, we have progressive phase inspections so that instead of doing a full-blown annual like you do on a small aircraft, we, we, uh, we maintenance ours similar to what the airlines do with their aircraft uh, so that we have more uptime throughout the year. But those AMPs run that along with our maintenance control folks. Uh, and then we have four, uh, we have got three general crewmen, which are kind of our laborers. They, they drive the trucks, they stay in the watches. Um, some of you guys saw some of the, the uh, video we put on social media the other day because we had a little bit of weather come through here a couple days ago. Uh, so those guys, uh, big kudos to them because they, they're the ones sitting out there, literally sitting in it when stuff like that happens and, and taking care of it, making sure that it's safe on the mast. Uh, and all, all the crew kind of splits that duties, but the general crewmen take the brunt of that, especially on the overnight shifts. Uh, and then we've got two GSE guys that uh, we've got a ground support fleet of about seven vehicles. We carry a semi-truck that's a moving maintenance shop, uh, two mast trucks, which we need to actually moor to. So if you guys see us out at Pioneer Field, that's, uh, that's what the ship is attached to is the mast truck. Uh, we have one mass truck we're normally attached to. The other one's a spare because we can't land without it. And if one breaks, got to have another one. So, uh, And then we've got a few runabouts and, and, and a few things. So we, we travel pretty heavy, but we're completely self-sufficient for the most part. Uh, we just need to find a place to get a little bit of water for ballast and food for the crew. And we can keep on moving down the road with just about anything that we're asked to do. So you, you talked a little bit about um, kind of the, the typical it sounds like the typical mission profile for you guys would be um, you, when you're not carrying passengers, you're usually doing um, uh, aerial photography support for um, mostly sporting events and, and other stuff like that. Is, is that. is that the bulk of what you, what you guys fly? Yeah, sporting events is, is kind of our bread and butter, but we do a little bit of anything that's TV. Uh, I mean, we've done daytime TV shows, morning shows, um, you know, e e evening shows with some of the night comedy guys. Uh, a little bit of everything with TV. So aerial coverage support is is really uh, our our 
primary uh, money maker, so to speak. All, all of our value is return on investment for the company. So they, they invest in us to go out, uh, and then we have third-party companies that evaluate uh, in advertising dollars basically what we've done for the company, and then we put that on a dashboard for our for our executive leadership. So basically, we like any other corporate flight operation, we, we earn our keep in, in money saved for the company, basically. Uh, but yeah, media and uh, and specifically aerial coverage is is a great bulk of what we do, uh, and then we fill in the rest of the stuff with things like customer and dealer support rides and, and passenger operations and things like that. So this this kind of stuff at EAA, uh, a straight up exposure, um, you know, kind of in, involved in the air show and things is is uh, is one of the more unique things we do actually because we probably only do uh, one maybe two air shows a year if that. And uh, and whenever we get the opportunity to come to EAA is is awesome for us. It's a it's a whole different vibe from what the the crew is used to. So it's a lot of work, but it's a ton of fun to be here. And, and you mentioned Goodyear's involvement with the uh, w- with the Blimp operation, and I think that's something. It's such a strong brand. We all kind of take it for granted uh, that you know the Goodyear Blimp. But what do you, how did a, a tire company um, get involved with uh, with running an airship fleet? Uh, what's the story behind that? Uh, well, it's it's kind of two track. Uh, first of all, we uh, in the early days of aviation, uh, well, the early days of airships, which was pre Wright Brothers. Uh, you know, folks were developing these airships in in a few different areas of the world, kind of at the same time. And uh, Goodyear was a very new company at the time itself, uh, but folks were looking for suppliers to be able to build these things and it turns out that the types of fabrics and rubbers and things like that that Goodyear was pioneering at the time uh, was just what these folks were looking for so starting in about 1911 we built our first airship envelope which was not really a Goodyear blimp but it was a Goodyear built envelope uh, and we gave it a serial number when we manufactured it and sold it to these folks and it was serial number D1 for dirigible one and uh, this thing was built it was called the Venomans Akron and it was an airship that, uh, um, similar to what you're seeing with, with commercialized space flight. So you have somebody with the means that's trying to do something pioneering, uh, and that's, that's what was going on at the time with, uh, with this particular airship and, and many of the others as well. Um, but Goodyear put this, this uh, envelope on there, and it turned out that what we produced was pretty good, although the airship wasn't successful itself in, in its own right. Uh, the, the program became pretty successful, and at the same time, uh, we had a very um, pioneering uh, uh, chairman of Goodyear, and P.W. Litchfield was was an aviation buff. It was, like I said, the barnstorming days, early days of aviation, teens and 20s. Uh, and so he wanted to have an airship, once he figured out what these things were, he wanted to have an airship to be his own kind of personal flying yacht. So uh, he thought it would be a great idea to build one of these things for uh, partially his own use, but then he saw the value in having the company's name branded on the side. So uh, we we uh, quickly developed a uh, or put together an engineering and, and aviation wing of Goodyear, uh, which lasted all through World War II and beyond, really. Uh, Goodyear Aerospace came out of that. So the, we've, we've put together a lot of things. We still have a lot of of uh, airplanes flying. Some of the Corsairs here actually are, are G model Corsairs that were built by Goodyear under under uh, a license from Vought. And um, so, I mean, we got into lots of different areas of aviation, but blimps kind of stuck through the whole time. And in fact, up until 2016, when we transferred to the new NT fleet, like you see flying today, uh, that D serial number was continuous. 
our last airship that flew that was decommissioned in 2016 was D-654. Oh. So uh, although we, we built 350 plus or minus airships over the years, um, several more envelopes were built partially for testing, um, some were for balloons, some never got used, uh, but the serial number was continuous. So that was a really, uh, really unique thing when I first got in the program to, to, to realize that you know what literally what I was flying was a was a complete continuation of what had been developed in the late 1800s uh, in the very early 1900s it's pretty neat absolutely I, I had no idea that history uh, that that Goodyear and the airships went back that far that's really interesting um, one of the questions I had is it seems like uh, there's a lot of pride from everybody that works around it from the pilots down to the mechanics and so forth um, would you say that's true, that there's a, a, a big source of pride when you get uh, that position and to be around, uh, you know, the Goodyear fleet? Yeah, I definitely think so. Uh, you know, like I said, we're, we're like the Blue Angels or the Thunderbirds for, you know, but we work for Goodyear and it's, it's, it's the same kind of thing. We're there for, uh, we're there for branding. We're there for, uh, you know, getting folks to, to see and recognize, you know, who we are and what we do. And, and uh, I think the, the guys take a lot of pride in that, just being you know, that, that most forward-facing part of the company uh, and, you know, being in a company that, that takes care of them fairly well, too, uh, it makes a big difference. But the airships are so unique. The history themselves, uh, you know, just that portion of it draws a lot of folks in that that uh, it's really exciting, like you said, from the, the pilots to the mechanics to the crew that watch it at night. Everybody really takes a stake uh, and and really enjoys what they do for the most part. All right, so now the question that I'm sure uh, all the aviation enthusiasts and uh, particularly all the um, anybody who's a pilot or learning to fly or just, you know, knows anything about how an aircraft, a airplane is controlled, excuse me, um, how do you fly a blimp? What, what, what controls do you have and uh, how do those work together to make you go up, down, turn, all that? Sure. Uh, they... Well, like I said, the, the physics of the blimp is the most important part. Our aircraft weighs about 19,000 pounds without helium in it. Uh, when you put helium in it, you get everything ready to go. Our maximum allowable takeoff weight, if you were to put it on a scale, is 880 pounds. So basically, 18,200 pounds has to be lifted by helium, uh, which is an inert gas. It's a very safe gas, um, but it is finicky. And when you heat it and cool it and change pressures on it and all kinds of stuff, it uh, it has to be maintained and controlled. So we, we say that blimps are alive when they have helium in them. And uh, that's true whether it's in the hangar, whether it's sitting through a storm, whether you're flying it. Uh, so you really have to understand that first. And, and being able to control that helium is the first thing that we teach our pilots. So pressure control, um, managing the volume and the lift and things like that. So once you get past that part, the actual controls of the blimp, like I said, are, are relatively similar to what you'd see in an airplane. Uh, we have thrust levers on ours as opposed to uh, throttles because our system is set up a little bit like uh, like a helicopter or a turboprop in where we, we request an RPM and we give it a thrust rating and then the, the governor just gives us whatever throttle maximizes that combination. And then we have mixture levers like a regular airplane because we're piston powered. The really unique part is that we can swivel the engines up and down. And so when the engines are, f are facing full forward, they're just tractors. And when we swivel them up 90 degrees, then we can take off and land vertically like a helicopter. And that's kind of the hard part that it's a very uh, unique control system that takes a little bit of getting used to, a lot of muscle memory. Uh, but once the guys get it down, it's a, it's a really 
Um, it's a really solid system. It really gives us the capability to put a bigger airship in a smaller space uh, because that fine control that we have over it as a pilot. And we can do that without having to have 15 guys literally pull us out of the sky anymore. So we have the same size crew, uh, but what they do is different. They do more taking care and, and less actual handling uh, as opposed to more handling and, and a little bit less care. So you have the, the, you have the articulating um, engine pods, which we saw in action uh, yesterday when you guys were doing your routine. You're, you're able to, to, to roll it back and forth. Mm -hmm. and, um, and you also you also have control surfaces on the tail, correct? For, yes. Um, for, for attitude and, and yaw? Yep. It's like standard flight controls in an airplane when it's flying along at speed. Uh, so we, we have an inverted Y, so the top, the top uh, fin just has a rudder on it for left and right yaw. Uh, and then we have rudder vaders on the bottom. So they're elevators and rudders, and they work uh, in opposite in a turn, and they work together as an elevator. Um, but when you move the side stick around, they would work like basically like a bonanza would. Uh, and then on top of that, the rear engine has the capability of, of swiveling the thrust propeller so that it faces towards the ground. And when that happens, we have a second propeller that that same engine runs that becomes active that that yaws us back and forth. So the thrust propeller facing the ground, when you push and pull on the stick, it changes pitch and power and it, it pitches the ship up and down so it acts like an elevator. Uh, and then when you stick left and right, that, that lateral propeller, kind of like a tail rotor, uh, will push your nose left and right. So even if there's no airflow over those traditional fin uh, flight controls, the thrust vectoring in the back, which is fully controlled by the side stick, so the pilot doesn't really have to think about it. He just pushes the stick where you want the nose to go and that thrust vectoring along with if there's any wind uh, the fins still working will point you in the direction you want to go so it's it's partially a redundant system uh, but partially when you when you get into that really low speed regime or hovering we still have full control of the airship which is great for us wow and i i i can't remember the exact specs but you're running uh, what, what are the engines that you have in the in the pods are just regular ga engines right yep lycoming io360 so IO 200 horsepower a piece uh, we just mount them all sideways, and we run them through gearboxes. So our engines, uh, maximum RPM about 2,700, is only spinning the propellers about 1,200 RPMs. Uh, but our propellers are three-bladed, uh, almost nine-foot propellers with big, fat uh, paddles on them, similar to what you'd see on, like, a C-130. And they're uh, a wood-core a wood core composite propeller. Uh, they really, because they spin slow and because they're great big, they're really quiet, which is nice. Uh, most of the noise that you hear on the airship is really almost more wind noise, especially in the, the passenger compartment. You can have a regular conversation in there uh, where the old ones were very loud, needed headsets and and uh, and things like that. But the, the new ones are a great customer experience, and, and they're also much quieter when they're flying above. So one of our one of our biggest uh, um, improvements and, and also one of our uh, most complained about items is we, we used to get noise complaints every once in a while with the old ships and, and now we actually get complaints in the opposite that you know we, we post something on social media that hey we were over such and such today and somebody posts back well I didn't even know you were there because I didn't hear you coming and we're like well I guess we should have recorded the old blimp noise and we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll blast it out between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. and we'll, we'll turn it off at a, in the stealthy evening. blimp approach a stealth yeah, blimp yeah. I guess yeah <laughs> Um, you know, one of the things I always wondered was, uh, and obviously, in any aspect of flying, weather plays a huge part. I, I can only imagine that it's it's giant in in, uh, in your flight operations. Can you explain to us sort of the limitations or what you have to look out for most uh, when flying one of these? Yeah, weather is is 
you almost have to be a, an amateur weatherman to, to be a blimp pilot. We really watch uh, very closely, and I know most pilots will check the weather, uh, make sure they know what they're flying in and around and things like that. But as a blimp pilot, you're, you're always checking. And you're usually watching for winds, and not just winds on the surface, but winds loft, because a day like yesterday, for example, was fairly nice at four or 500 and below, but there was a shear zone at about 600 feet, which first, even a Cessna wouldn't have been a big deal, but for the blimp, you rock around a little bit in there, and then you pop up to about 800 feet, and all of a sudden, you're not moving anymore, so uh, we have to be really kind of critical of those winds as they, as they go up and kind of knowing what they are. Uh, and knowing which direction we're going because even too much of a tailwind is not great for the blimp because we need the crew to land and if we run away from them and we have something happen and we turn around and we can't get back to them that's not good for us either so uh, we're really careful to make sure that we flight plan for for winds uh, as much as anything and then surface winds is, is important to us but a lot of that depends on steadiness so a good 20 to 25 knots we can actually operate in. We operate in Florida a mile from the coast every day. That's where we live in, in Pompano Beach, one of our bases down there. Uh, but it's a steady sea breeze and we just sit in it all day long, which is great. Uh, if it's a real shifty 10 to 15 or a variable at 10 kind of day, that's horrible for the blimp because we're always trying to face directly into the wind because if we get a side wind and it pushes you sideways, uh, it's, it's like trying to fly your airplane sideways and you, you don't have any control, even with the thrust vectoring uh, you wouldn't have any control. So you need to, to stay facing in that wind, and if it gets too shifty on us, then, then we'll park it for the day. Obviously, besides that, uh, convective activity like any small general aviation airplane, and, and we're even more susceptible because we're a giant wind sail. Uh, so we stay away from convective activity. It's much safer on the ground than in the air. And uh, the, the wind and rain really doesn't bother us. The storm we had the other night, the, the most critical thing we were all standing watching to, uh, to really make sure that we didn't get hail. That would have been critical for us because we do have some carbon fiber surfaces. Uh, the fins are all carbon fibers, carbon fiber pods around the engines and things like that, that, that would be susceptible to damage similar to, to, you know, any other GA airplane sitting on the ground, but pretty critical to the blimp. So other than that, the, uh, the masting system itself is, is, uh, configured for, uh, 78 knots of steady wind plus gusts. So 92 miles an hour, it's basically a category one hurricane certified mooring system. Uh, just sitting on the truck with the truck in the middle of a field like we have it out here. So we're we're pretty uh, pretty safe on the ground. Although if the winds are more than about 10 or 12 knots, somebody is in it. We we train all of our ground crew that are watches. Somebody's in it flying it on the mast to make sure that it's not bouncing around and banging the tail up. Um, so it's it's being watched 24/7. It's a uh, it's critical that even our ground crew guys are watching the weather and and uh, you know, we we're just pretty careful. I think one of the funniest things that I never knew. Uh, when we're talking about the mast, um, I was an air traffic controller, and we had uh, a good, the Goodyear blimp come in. And after my shift, I went out to see it in the evening. I was talking to the ground crew, and I parked, and I walked up, and I'm talking to the ground crew for maybe 15, 20 minutes. And when I got done, we were nowhere near my car. And what we did, I didn't realize is, like, the blimp is actually moving while it's still tied to that mooring post. So it's kind of a going in a half circle. So we started here, and I parked here. But by the end of the conversation, we were like way far away from where we were and didn't even realize we were walking with the blimp as we were talking. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the biggest windsock on the field. So if you need to know which <laughs> way the wind's blowing, just look at the blimp. It'll tell you right away. Uh, but it, yeah, it, we always tell people that even when it's flying and, and we're doing pasteurized, you know, we'll land uh, and we'll try to hold it still, but we're moving around in the wind. So we always tell our passengers, you, sometimes you got to chase it to get on, but sometimes they'll chase you back. So you got to be careful. <laughs> 
Uh, so yeah, we, we keep an eye on all the time. It's also unique for our maintenance guys because our, our engines are all 25 feet in the air. So we use suspended platforms like window washers use. Uh, we, we have special rigging and, and all of our AMP mechanics are Sprat and climbing certified, which is pretty unique for AMPs. Uh, some of them don't, don't particularly like that part, but it is what it is. And, uh, uh, but they put these platforms up and they have a rope ladder. So they, they take a, usually a soft bag or a backpack of some sort with their tools in it. And they, they climb the rope ladder up 20 feet to the engine and they do what they need to do and they come back down so that the safety person on the ground is, is walking and working. Uh, while the mechanic is up there and you know the same thing he's he's cranking away at something on the engine and when he looks up not, not only is he 180 degrees out but he's, he's kiting up a little bit or something like that and we so we're, we're also very careful of the weather that that uh you know especially wind that that we'll put our mechanics up in um but they do move around quite a bit when they're up there working so it's just it's a unique feeling it's one of those those weird things about the blimp that you you know when you, we bring a person in the door and we explain this to them they're like really why can't we just <laughs> Like, yeah, well, if you, you want to get down the road, it, I mean, to, to come up to, to uh, even EAA and back to Ohio, that's that's two days. We stop in, in Elkhart, Indiana, and then up and, and back. So it's a two-day trip just to get here. And then we do a whole week of flying. I mean, we're, we'll have we'll almost have 100 hours of flying in, in just a four-day, five-day trip to EAA. So uh, those 100 hours come up really quick, and, uh, and, and we got to be able to take care of them whether we're on the road or in the hangar. So we saw your um – a couple couple of the days during the air show we've seen your air show routine um mm-hmm. you know basically uh the, the slow blimp motion comes, yeah show. yeah the blimp comes lumbering <laughs> out behind the crowd and comes up and down the flight line does a couple of bows does a couple of uh, of rolls um obviously i'd imagine those are fairly uh those are probably almost like pts maneuvers for you guys but um it was how, how did you uh, how did you develop that is that uh, is that something you guys had some fun with just developing the sequence yeah, it's it's really just showing the envelope of the aircraft, and and I think that we're 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 all non aerobatic. It's it's plus or minus thirty degrees, and really the roll is just whatever you can get out of it. With yeah, the what's engines. the G limit of the Goodyear blimp? <laughs> you know, I, they don't even publish a G limit. I'm gonna have to go look that up now that you ask me. I, not many people ask me a technical question I can't answer, but that's a good one. Uh, it, it it has more to do with the uh, with the pool on the structure itself. So if the if the gondola is is too steeply raised or or tilted to the side, uh, there's carbon fiber and aluminum poles inside that attach the gondola itself to the internal um, semi rigid framework. And and those angles of pull is what's critical to us. So uh, our normal flight regime is is 30 degrees up and down. But when you take an aircraft that's 250 feet long and you pitch it 30 degrees, it, it looks like a ramp in the sky. Uh, and that's what we're trying to display with our with our routine that we do is just the, the envelope of the airship because I think people see it kind of cruising around in, in normal, smooth, steady flight, which is what makes it a great aerial platform, uh, but they never really see what it can do when it needs to, and uh, and that's the fun part about it. So we tried to put something together that was, that was fun for the folks because we know that it's a slow-motion air show <laughs> and that it takes a little bit of time to get the thing moving and developing, but that's part of the uniqueness of it. You know, you, you can see that it's very maneuverable, uh, but it's like maneuvering a boat, so you you don't turn a ship on the ocean, you know, around in, in four seconds or, or snap roll it around in a second and a half. You you have to you have to give it some time to crank up and, and just as much time to, to to bring it back down. So, um, but it's a pretty unique routine. It just demonstrates the the edges of the envelope of, of what we can do with the airship, and uh, and it's a lot of fun to do in front of the crowd. I think it. It's uh, it's something very different from what they're seeing in the rest of the show, and uh, and so far we've gotten some some pretty good feedback on it. So I'm, I'm excited to be here and be able to do that for the folks at EAA. 
So one of the questions I, I've always wondered is, for example, bringing the aircraft cross country or going to your next you know, uh, job, you have to have a really unique perspective of the world at that point. What's some of the coolest things you've seen from the blimp that you know you maybe you wouldn't see flying an airplane? Uh, well, seeing the the Oshkosh Air Show from there is is pretty cool in my <laughs> opinion. That's you don't get to see that very often, and we you know we're up there with passengers and and we're watching some of the best aerobatic routines in the world right out the like eye level out the window because we're flying around at 500 feet and below to stay out of the out of the Airbus's airspace out there. So that that's really cool. Uh, we, everybody likes to see something a little different, so we kind of split the flights up between the pilots. But some of the cool stuff I've seen is uh, World Series, um, college football national championships, the, the Manhattan Fourth of July fireworks from the sky, right over the Statue of Liberty at eye level to the fireworks on the Hudson River. Uh, that was pretty neat. Um, being able to fly over uh, the different terrains. So it, once a year right now, because we don't yet hang, have a – a hangar facility for our Los Angeles base uh, once a year for its kind of major sea check where we have to actually pull the helium out and inspect the internal framework. We, we hang it from the ceiling for that. And our hangar in Ohio and the one in Florida are, are capable of that, but there aren't any, uh, any other hangars in the United States we can do that with. So once a year, we bring that Los Angeles ship back to Akron and we swap it out and send another one across and the blimp flies everywhere it goes. So that's a, that's a 2,500 mile trip and you can't just go over the mountains like you do in an airplane. You got to you got to go down through uh, Indianapolis and St. Louis, Fayetteville, Arkansas, um, usually Lawton, Oklahoma, Hobbs, New Mexico, uh, and then you turn the corner at El Paso, and then from El Paso you, you follow the southern border and Interstate 10 all the way to L.A., uh, kind of weaving back and forth between the mountain passes, um, Deming, New Mexico, kind of over the hill into Tucson, you turn the corner in Phoenix and up Palm Springs, and you turn a big corner at Palm Springs over the Banning Pass into the valley, and uh, and it's you see all of that terrain. You see it change from, you know, m Midwest foliage to uh, to Midwest to uh, uh, you know desert terrain, and then and then back to the coastline again. So I mean, just seeing all of that at less than a thousand feet, and oftentimes in the desert where it's really high, uh, you know, we we have a certain altitude we can make it to. Our, our aircraft are certified to ten thousand feet, but realistically, about six or seven thousand is as high as we can go. And some of those mountain passes are are 6,000 feet and if it's a hot day uh, we may cross over some of those mountain some of those some of those ridge lines and things like that at, at less than 200 feet off the ground and then the, the ridge falls away and all of a sudden you're 3,000 feet above the ground again so it's uh, it can be a little bit uh, nerve-wracking to do some of that kind of stuff but I mean it's also super cool to see the country at at 500 feet and, and 40 or 50 knots you certainly don't miss anything going by so I mean you it's it's uh it's very unique but but a lot of fun. Uh, you, you mentioned covering uh, sporting events, covering the World Series and stuff like that. Uh, what's the conversation like when you when you're uh, when you're up in the uh, up in the blimp orbiting over uh, you know the Super Bowl or something like that? And is it kind of one of those um, you know watching some kind of an event from afar like oh it looks like they just did that or you know oh what's happening down? What what what, what can you guys see from up there and uh, and what's the what's kind of the uh, the, yeah, like I said, the, the, the mood in the, uh, in the aircraft while you're doing that. Well, cer certainly for some of the bigger events, it's, it's always exciting. And we, he we can hear in, in one of our ears what all the other camera operators hear. So we're listening to oftentimes the director uh, and, and sometimes also the production guys. So we're listening to the talent. We're listening to 
Um, sometimes the producer chime in and out, and then we're listening to the director all the time because the director is really telling us what he wants to see. He's really telling our camera operator what he wants to see. Uh, but as a pilot, you have to know what he's asking that guy to do and then get yourself in the spot to be able to do that. Um, so sometimes they get a little excited and sometimes they get upset that we're not where we're supposed to be, but they also get upset at their own camera operators on the ground that they're not paying attention or they're supposed to fake it wrong way or something. So it's a, it's a really unique thing, but, uh, but it is exciting, especially the big events. Uh, you, you really, you're really involved in it because you're hearing all that stuff in your ear. Uh, now at the same time, you're listening to air traffic control in the other ear and you're listening to your company radio and the guys on the ground and, and what the signal's doing in the airship. And so it can be very busy. Uh, but but you're very much involved in the in the program in the in the production so uh, it's it's a really unique thing to to be involved in those kinds of things so it's, it's pretty exciting and then and as far as a, a view you know we can we can usually see from a thousand feet what's going on we can follow kind of play action football you know we can tell we, you might not be able to tell who caught the pass but you can tell that it was a pass and not a run uh, or vice versa uh, you know you you can see that the guy hit the baseball and he's running around the bases. Uh, but then we can also see on our center ICAST screen what our camera operator sees. So if the director is, is asking us to follow play action or not asking for us for anything at all, and our camera operators then will uh, kind of take their own, um, you know, they, they, they do things kind of a little bit on their own and try to sell their shot to the, to the director, uh, they'll, they'll focus in on the play action or whatever's going on. And, and in, that, in those cases, we can see exactly just almost better than what's on TV because he can – he can follow right along with what's going on and unless we're asked to you know pull out and get a big shot or something like that so if it's some place where we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere and there's no atc and and things like that going on we we can also uh you know steal a couple of minutes of of on-air stuff on our xm radio and that's sort of nice too so we'll listen to the game if it's on the if it's on the radio and that way we can keep up with what the time is you know how much time is left you know, and kind of, kind of partially for flight planning and, and partially for entertainment while you're up there for five or six hours going in, in a half-mile circle. You know, one of the questions I always had, and I hope I'm not alone, was how does the whole signage and lighting on the side of the aircraft work? Uh, so it's, a, it's an LED sign. It's powered by uh, our onboard generators, which is really the limiting factor. We, we would love to be able to run it bigger, brighter, and be able to see it during the day. Uh, but we're limited by by generator and, and electrical transfer technology, basically. But the sign itself is a is an LED banner. Uh, so underneath is a, a nylon straps, kind of like a like a nylon belt, uh, like a tactical belt kind of material that they they build a grid out of, and then they attach the LED boards to that. So each of the LED boards is is uh, maybe an inch high by uh, I don't know 14 or 16 inches long, and it's got eight high intensity multicolor LEDs on there. Uh, each one of them is is a, a pixel basically and we've got about 3600 of these boards on the side so our resolution is pretty good when you're looking at it from at least 500 feet and you know a, a 1500 or 2000 foot distance to the side so the angle view kind of like what you saw for those of you that saw it at the show last night uh, we can run video on it and text animations and it's uh, it's you know like watching a small tv screen in the sky when uh, when it's dark outside so it's pretty cool it's a uh, it's a, a great tool for us we you know like i said we can kind of integrate with the show uh we we can help out you know like when we're daa we'll uh uh you know we put some signage up there that's that's for eaa specifically or or for goodyear or for both you know partnerships and allows us to build that kind of stuff 
Um, we, we're, we changed the sign over for this airship. It's a newer technology, so it's uh, a lot better resolution. It's a brighter screen, and, uh, and we continue to develop that technology. That's kind of the next uh, big thing we're working on now that we got some of our newer camera systems in place. Uh, as far as technical innovations and advancement, that's, that's kind of our next big thing on the airship is we're, we're focused on, on uh, some R&D, basically, to, to figure out ways to make it lighter and, uh, and less uh, energy consumption. Uh, but the bigger, the better, and, and we'll see what we can come up with. So. so it's interesting you mentioned Elkhart Airport because that's where I was a controller at. And uh, it was always fun to get you all to come through there. One of the funny things was uh, um, y there's no th nothing in ATC, nowhere in our simulators, nowhere in our real world that we simulate controlling a blimp. So my first time ever controlling a blimp was literally in real time, and y'all were coming, uh, as much as well as my other you know controller cohorts. And uh, I'll just never forget. I, I had a very um, very rigid ex O'Hare tower chief and uh he just looked at me and he goes i'm gonna give you one piece of advice today and the you guys were coming up and he goes never put anything number two behind the blimp and i was like okay so i always just remembered that for, for the entire of my career just wherever the blimp is never put anybody number two behind the blimp <laughs> so the blimp always is just gonna kind of hang out and he'll do whatever you need him to <laughs> yes and that that's that's one of the things we try to do i mean we we have a great relationship with with atc we've had a few control i think uh well I give you a couple of great experiences on both sides. One, uh, we had a controller one time when we we um, our, our our aircraft are IFR certified as well. So because we do live TV, it doesn't wait. If you got to get there on a rainy Friday for a good Saturday, we'll fly at IFR if we have to. It's really unique, uh, and we do a lot of coaching. You know, to your point, we realize that, that we're weird. <laughs> Uh, you know, you, you might see us going 50 knots or 60 knots with a nice tailwind, and you treat us like a 150 in the sky. Uh, and then we turn around and we're doing eight knots and you don't know what to do with that. Uh, so we, we're aware of that. We'll let you know that's going to happen. You know, we try to, uh, to, to be a good, a good uh, steward to, you know, to the rest of the aviation community and not, not clog up the airspace. But we do what we have to do. And, and uh, you know, we called up one time and said, hey, we're, you know, we're waiting on our crew. We'd like to do a practice instrument approach at, at a, you know, an airport. And we'd been listening. They're not too busy. And we figured we can slide in over here and if you need us to slide out and shoot somebody by we'll slide back no big deal we're just practicing approach anyway and the controller goes you what are you flying and we said the good your blimp and you want to do what and we <laughs> said, you want to shoot an approach you got to stay current and she goes absolutely not go call this other tower and if they give you it that's fine so we called the other tower and it was where we were landing anyway oh yeah sure come on in we'll just move you over if we have to and i said well the last folks weren't so nice but that's fine we'll, we'll do what you whatever you need us to do you know i mean <laughs> On the other side of that, we had one time when we were trying to get back in, beat a marine layer into uh, into Farmingdale, New York, and uh, and to your to your number two point, uh, you know, we had been cleared for this this RNAV approach, and we were flying this thing down. And, and when you're a blimp with the crew on the field, it, it's probably a two or three hour movement to get the crew somewhere else. So I mean, you although you follow the rules and, and you get to the minimums, and if it's not there, it's not there, and, and you got to go around. But I mean, that could be fuel critical. That could be, there's a lot of things that go into that, right? So if you can see the airport environment and you can get down to that 100 feet and you see the next thing and then you can, I mean, we're, we're going slow enough that those things come by. So, uh, you know, we're, we're coming down on this approach and the closer we got, the more the fog moves in, the lower the visibility and we come down and this tower controller is just rock solid. You're clear land, let me know. I can't see you anymore. So let me know when you're down, let me know what you want to do. And he said, we're going to do this. We're going to air taxi over to our crew. And he's like, oh, okay, whatever you need. And this whole time we have a Gulfstream behind us. And he was about 25 miles out when they slowed him to a final approach feed. 
and then gave him a 360 and then turned him one more time and you could tell this guy was getting nervous out there but the controller was rock solid we got down we cleared we did our air taxi we were like sir we're clear he's like all right and then right you're clear to land and i mean this right and you could hear it go by but you never saw him because he was solid in the clouds and i think he was super mad that that uh that we just made his golf stream divert to somewhere else but that controller man he was he was awesome got us to our crew that night so it was a, that was a great experience for us no that's fantastic the i have to ask uh probably a final question uh um just is it fun to see the experience or the, the look on folks faces when you show up places that's the best part this is this is a cool part of aviation that you can share with folks you know i was with the airlines and you, you your system is monitoring you close the door people are mad when they get on mad when they get off you know and, and we had a guy we canceled 13 times for weather. When he finally got up, we got him a cake, and he was super. <laughs> but he was so happy that he got to ride the blimp. It didn't matter that 13 times later that he, you know, this was his 14th try when he got up. Uh, but being able to share that experience and the flight experience too, you know, they, the people can walk up, they can talk to us, they can see what's going on. The, the views are great. Uh, we wish that we could uh, that we could accommodate more folks in it, but it is super cool to be able to share that experience, whether it's on the ground or or in the air with the people that come out to see us. Well, Mike, I just want to say thank you so much for being here. Thanks for sharing some time with us, giving us a, a, an inside look at flying the, uh, the Goodyear airship. It's something I've had so many questions answered today. Uh, so uh, in tradition of uh, the podcast, Hal actually usually closes it with his famous, you're clear to land on the green, do green dot. But it, today on our live broadcast, we always have the crowd to help us uh, close it out. So we're going to go ahead and turn it over uh, on the queue here and let them help us close out the show. But, again, just want to say thank you for being here and, and thank, thank you, you so me. much for, for being here at the show. Yeah, this was great. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Keep well, an eye out for us out there. Absolutely. Well, thank you all so much. I appreciate everybody coming out this morning early and listening. And thank you for whoever's listening at home. Thank you for the comments. And uh, if they're good comments, uh, me and Tom will take them. Since Hal's not here, we'll dish the, uh, the bad comments to Hal if there are any. But uh, in the meantime, I just want to say thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time when we're clear to land. On the green dot.